Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You'll listen to the Ask Brian Radio Show on KHS 1220 and 98.1 FM. Like, no, the station of the world! All right. Anyway, <laughs> we're back. And for people that have never listened to the Ask Brian Radio Show, we are a business show. Each week we interview a startup, a CEO, a new business. We try to teach people something about business or learn something about how a business was created. And business should not only be defined, and we'll find out this week, as just running a business. For instance, the Red Cross, while it is a charitable organization, it technically has many, many of the same attributes that a business does. And we're going to learn about that and find out why I made that arbitrary comment. Not just because I make arbitrary comments, but for other reasons. Now, everyone that has not listened to the show, Mr. Engineer. Hey, begins with an E. Yes. Okay. Brian, when I was growing up, was spelled B R I A N or B R Y A N. Right. I didn't know anyone named B R I A N unless they were at the Irish pub down the street and they named O'Brien. <laughs> no pun intended on that either. Oh, the engineer. Man. Yeah, that's me. Why do they spell Brian with an E? Well, I'll tell you why. So there's a couple of words that have to, that kind of like are like symbolic of what, you know, the Ask Brian show really is. One of them happens to be, you know, engineer, because uh, you can't run the show without the engineer, and that would be, well, me. But he already took that one away from me, and that was my favorite. Without AI, we said, right? That starts with an A and an I, so there's no E. Yeah, but once we get AI, we won't need the engineer. <laughs> so you won't need the E. Got it. All right. <laughs> we'll have to replace the E with an AI. Yeah. Maybe it'll be the ass brain show. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the other words happen to be, well, experts, because everybody that's on the Ask Brian show happens to be an expert in the field of whatever they're doing. Other ones is experience, because uh, everybody uh, has a lot of experience in what they're doing and what they've done, and that's why they're on here. It's kind of with, with the experts as well. Other ones we have is effort, because we all give 110% effort in everything we do on the Ask Brian show. The other ones we have is uh, empathy, but you were not being very empathetic towards your engineer right now. So uh, you were a lack of empathy. Uh, you're still working here, right? All right, maybe he is empathetic then. All right. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he is empathetic then. Yeah. And then, doesn't there happen to be your two favorite ones? What not one of them excitement and... Enthusiastic! There you go. Yeah, that was pretty good. Enthusiastic. Yeah, I know. All right, we have a great show today, and we have our co-host, Tracy. Tracy, you there? Yes, I am here. Hello, everybody. So, we decided at some point between now and 128, she's going to ask a question to try to smooth things around and change things around. Usually, I do the beginning, and Tracy does the back part, and now we're going to switch it just a little bit, just to throw in a question from Tracy, and then I'll have a question or two during the second part, because we like to change things around. And, you know, by the way, we did forget one other thing is, without any further ado... That is spelled A-D-I-E. That's not one of the E's. But that is one of the... And why do I like that? Because every single letter except for the D is a vowel. That's correct. All right. Our guest today is Rick Burt. Is that correct? That's it. Yeah. Glad to be with you guys. 
Glad to have you. Now, uh, we are a business show, but we do go in places far beyond business. And we also show people how business can be affecting everything. I did mention earlier the Red Cross. Uh, Rick, what are you currently working on right now? Yeah, I have the pleasure of being the president and CEO of SAD, Students Against Destructive Decisions. Many folks might remember us by our prior name, Students Against Drunk Driving. We're celebrating our 40th year of existence, helping to uh, empower young people to make wise choices, now with a wider lens, not just on impaired driving, but also mental health, substance abuse, uh, navigating the, the wilds of social media, talking about vaping and being a good leader, lots of subjects that we're helping teens and parents navigate in this ever-changing world uh, that we live in. So the big question, when did you change the name and why? 1997 is the correct answer, and that would be because our students came to us and said, hey, we still think there's a lot of issues that we're facing around impaired driving, but we're facing so many other topics as young people, and and we really don't have the resources, training, or knowledge that we need to keep ourselves and our friends and our communities, for that matter, safe. So our board changed the name to have this broader focus, and now we talk about everything from traffic safety, substance use, mental health, leadership development, all while helping our students understand that advocacy, or in this case, guys, business is really all about selling an idea, getting your message out to the broader audience. And so even though we may not be driven by profits, we're driven by purpose. And so we're constantly looking for ways to grow the organization, grow the reach so that we have more young people that receive our messaging, our programming, and hopefully make better better decisions that they and their friends can live with. That's actually kind of almost like a branding pivot, okay? You're yeah. originally drunk drivers. Now you're uh, destructive decisions. Uh, yeah. Obviously, drunk driving is a destructive decision, so it's obviously a subset. Correct. But there are a lot of other things. I mean, I was thinking when I first looked at destructive decisions, I was like, you know, dropping out of school, um, you know, college pregnancies, you know, those type of things. Uh, I was That's how I first thought about it. I read through it a little more, and it doesn't seem necessarily to cover those. Are those type of things within that program? Because that, to me, would be or could become a destructive decision. Yeah, they they actually are. And the reason why, whether you're talking about teen pregnancy, whether you're talking about academic success, whether you're talking about that decision to take the first drink, to drive impaired, um, to hurt yourself or hurt someone else, to resort to violence in a situation, whatever that is, it all goes back to two main factors. The first is brain development and helping teens understand that their brains are still developing up until the age of 25. And so their ability to make good sound decisions is really impaired not only by whatever substances they might be consuming, but by the simple biology that they literally can't process information like adults can. And so helping teens understand various risk factors and choices, helping them think about outcomes and long-term outputs of the choices that they're making, it boils down to what that's what we do every day. So whether it's, you know, talking about, hey, I, you know, I'm in a situation where I'm not quite feeling okay, I'm having a bad day, well, then that bad day turned into a series of bad days. Is this depression? Is this not depression? What resources exist? All of those good things. Uh, and that's just on the student side. On the parent side, we also have a ton of resources, and I'll go ahead and give that shameless plug for our website, www.sadsadd.org. A ton of resources for parents, including our mental health toolkit for parents, 
that gives parents talking points, resources, and strategies to help their young people understand what their bodies are doing, understand what mental health is, and how they can take care of the mental health of their teens just like they would their physical health. So I say destructive decisions is a broad tent for everything because it all goes, it all goes back to how we process information and then the choices we make moving forward. But, so let's go back just so, again. I don't know if – how long have you been with uh, SAD? So I've been with the organization on staff since 2016, uh, but I joke that SAD didn't know what to do with me, so they finally had to put me on payroll because I was actually a SAD student in high school. So I've actually you – know, I was involved back in the day in, in my hometown in Ohio, go Buckeyes, where uh, I got <laughs> that's, – that's where I first got involved with the organization, you know, went through college knew I wanted to work in the nonprofit, or as I prefer to say, since this is a business show, I prefer to say for purpose, because like I said, we are still driven by finding additional resources. We just put those resources back into the mission. So I knew I wanted to work for a for purpose organization, worked for a a couple agencies, uh, then came back home to SAD, where I've held several roles, and then became our CEO three years ago. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I do want to know, when SAD did pivot back in 1997, which was prior to your even, you know, being yeah. part of it, do you know uh, what kind of difficulties that would be? Because you're branding under, you know, one area, drunk driving. Now you're kind of going in a different way. Do you know how that worked out and what they did? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I like to say that was the double-edged sword, the best and worst decision we ever made for a couple reasons. I mean, number one, we are our highest calling is to be student-led. On our board of directors, we have three students that are there by by our bylaws. And so we have young people literally driving this organization. And so it's great that we responded to the needs of our students and to their wishes and desires. But it, we did go from being, you know, the leading expert in one issue now to being, you know, at more of a clearinghouse approach where we can't be the, the issue area subject matter expert on every topic of youth development. So instead, we took the approach of, hey, we know how teens develop. We know how to engage them and how to make them into successful leaders. Let's build a broad coalition of partners and everything from eating disorders to financial literacy, from everything from obviously traffic safety and substance use to volunteerism and community development to public advocacy and legislative work. Let's create this broad tent that everyone can work in and then allow our students to work on the issues that are most important to them and to what the data says at the local level they should be working on. That all sounds great, but you're alluding to the challenge in that, you know, we are, what you're talking about here normally would require a multi-million dollar rebranding effort. And unfortunately, being a small but scrappy nonprofit, we've we never had the opportunity to really invest in the branding and awareness to help folks know that we've changed our name. So that's what we're trying to do in our 40th year is get the word out, have conversations like this and in a variety of settings so that folks know that, yeah, we still know that impaired driving is a critical issue. But as we think about life post-COVID and what comes next, so many other issues that our teens are going to be facing and SAD is is a resource for schools, communities, teens and parents alike to face those challenges together. Is there any connection between SAD and MAD? Because MAD is mothers so we of were, drunk drivers, and so that's right. Correct. Yeah, they're a good partner, but we are separate organizations, separate governing bodies, started in two different corners of the country around the same time. But uh, we call them a, a good cousin, right? Not in the same family, but they're, they're a distant relative somehow. And you said you started in 2016 with SAD. Where were you before that? 
Uh, so I worked for a nonprofit called Impact Team Drivers, so also in the traffic safety space. Um, so I was there for a couple of years as their director of Midwest operations. And then you, you went straight to SAT. And I went straight to SAD, yeah. First I was our, our, our development officer, then executive vice president, and then became our, our CEO, yeah, back in, uh, I guess, about, about three years ago. And so uh, here's a question. So for fundraising, do you do that online? Mm-hmm. Do you do that through uh, direct mail? Do you do it through events? What's your main, main way to uh, raise funds? Yeah, all of the above is what I like to say. You know, we will fundraise through all of those mechanisms throughout the course of the year, and it's actually been quite interesting. Back in the day, like many nonprofits, or more I should say more national nonprofits, one of our main forms of fundraising was actually telemarketing, and we all know how that worked out. So sad, one of the things that I have led is an effort to revitalize and modernize our fundraising efforts by certainly reconnecting and connecting with new donors, but working with individuals who believe in our mission, who know of the power of young people and the importance of working with teens to help them make good choices, that's certainly part of the equation. To work with family foundations who, have a, who share our commitment in building leadership development skills, to mobilizing communities and changing lives, certainly working in that space. We have a strong army of corporate partners, too, that help us by supporting our programs and our events. Just like you alluded to a, a moment ago, we do have... Some events, but they're not fundraising events. They're more uh, youth-centered events like our national conference, our training sessions, uh, our online advocacy institutes, things like that, because we have a a pretty low threshold. I mean, we spend the vast majority of our resources back on our programming, on our students. We know that's certainly something that our donors expect, and that's something we expect of ourselves. So we uh, engage in that practice to make sure that we're, you know, being fully transparent and holding ourselves to high standards. And then, you know, we also do some online giving as well. If folks are interested, they can go to sad.org backslash give, uh, and they can make a gift there. It's totally tax deductible, which who doesn't want a tax break in this day and age? So that's one of the benefits of being that 501c3 we were talking about earlier. But we really do try to engage in a, you know, a wide variety of strategies because it is tough to be a nonprofit in this space uh, and to certainly think as our economy recovers to think about how we can continue to work with folks to support our mission, probably in a season when our teens need us now more than ever. Tracy, I said you'd be asking questions during the first session, so go ahead. Tracy? I am right here. I was just (laughs) shocked and excited that I get to go early today. So first of all, I just want to say I I love how you position it as for purpose. But even if it's a nonprofit, there's still a lot of, like you're saying, in terms of financial reconciliations and budgets and things like that. So as the CEO, you're managing a lot of different financial aspects of the organization. Uh, Where do you feel some of the biggest challenges have been and has COVID affected the financial state of the organization? Yeah, it is a great question. Like I said, we're a small but scrappy organization with a a big mission. I I also wear the hat of of CFO. We have an outsourced accounting firm that we work with, but I am in the, you know, knee deep in in helping construct the budget and doing the reconciliation and going through the audit process. So I am very intimately involved in our financial operations and particularly in times of crisis and transition. I'm even more involved. So for the last you know, 18 months or plus, as we've all wrestled with COVID, that has been something I have spent the vast majority of my days navigating, you know, in, with, in situations like not being able to have traditional events, when mail has been delayed, when some of our traditional fundraising opportunities 
have dried up because people are facing financial hardships. How do we change and pivot to, uh, and again, I hate that word pivot because I think it's the most overused word of 2020 and probably 2021, but how do we reposition SAD to not only remain relevant on the mission side, but also on the financial operations. So, you know, we've been very fortunate to have some corporate sponsors come alongside us and continue to work with with us, Equitable Financial, working with us on our financial literacy program to, again, identify new strategies that where we can reach young people. And one of the beauties of working with young people is that they are incredibly resilient and they are way tech savvier than we are or ever will be. So exploring new mediums. For any TikTokers out there, you can follow SAD on TikTok. And we've had videos that have reached hundreds of thousands of people with zero dollars because we've been able to engage our students and get them excited about a particular cause or mission or whatever it might be and let their creativity flow to take over our social media channels. And to be honest, you would have to engage a professional PR firm or marketing firm and pay them hundreds of thousands of dollars in many cases to engage in some of this work. And so regardless of your sector, I think there's a real benefit to thinking of young people as an asset in your work and in your outreach because they are not only the consumers of today, they're the consumers of tomorrow. And so I think we have an obligation to one, understand what their psyche is, particularly Gen Z, and we could do a whole show on the psyche of Gen Z and and what we've identified in our research and how they process information, how they're different than some of us who are older, you know, the old side of millennials now, how they're different than us and certainly the boomers and beyond. But engaging them in the process of offering internships, of reaching out and offering fellowships or whatever it might be, you'd be amazed what a a teen or a college student could do to change your business acumen and really help you think about the future in a way that is going to produce some tangible results. So we're lucky in that we have an army of young people that we employ that are literally on, like I said, are on our board, but they're also on our finance committee that they're involved in key decision-making moments, and they, they help us remain relevant. And I got to say, they make finances, which is not, I gotta, again, to be honest, not my favorite part of the job. They make it a little bit more fun, too. Tracy, you had a couple questions, and then I was going to jump in after that, and then we're going to continue. Okay. So when you were speaking earlier about leveraging TikTok for fundraising, it really brought up to me this question around social media and destructive decisions. And like, are you having conversations with the images and the things that people are posting on social media and how that the internet lives forever? And how does that impact their possibilities for jobs, employment, resumes, recruitment, those kind of, because I would imagine they don't feel like destructive decisions at the time, but then they could come back and really be destructive to your future. Yeah, Tracy, actually, that's a topic for every age. I know some pretty dumb adults who have also documented some pretty dumb things on social media, but I think there's two ways to talk about what you're mentioning here. The first is that there's something that we talk about called digital dependency. And Gen Z, millennials, this younger generation in in total, tends to teeter on the verge of being addicted to their cell phone devices. Again, there's some biochemistry happening here where when we get a text message, a notification, a like, whatever it might be, there are literally endorphins that are released in our bodies that are uh, associated with feeling accepted, feeling like we belong, feeling affirmed. And when we receive those endorphins because of a behavior, that's what develops a habit. And there are good habits, and there are less good habits, and then there are bad habits. And so, unfortunately, many of our teens are almost addicted to their technology 
And so we talk about something called digital dependency, which is that constant need to feel connected, that concern when you don't know where your phone is, that I think we've all featured, seen a little bit more of that during COVID, where it's been one of our main lifelines to connect with the outside world. But in an era where news and stock quotes and emails and everything else is constantly coming at us, we've seen a significant impact not only on teens' mental health because they are spending so much time looking at the screen, but we've also seen an impact in things like posture because they're staring at the screen so much, neck challenges because they're looking down so much, literally physical ailments because of how much time we spend on technology. And so the psychological piece of this, that digital dependency piece, is certainly something that we've spent quite a bit of time talking about, especially as it relates to being a distracted pedestrian or a distracted driver, which is an even riskier uh, decision on top of that. So that's one thing. The second piece I'll mention, and we talk about this quite a bit with young people, is understanding your personal brand. And just like you said, what you put into the world is like a boomerang. It always comes back to you. you. There is no forgiveness on the Internet. And in an era where I can post something and literally reach tens of millions of people in a matter of moments, we talk about to young people, be mindful of what you put out into the universe because it, again, will come back. And when you're looking to build that brand, one of the first things that employers, that colleges, that many institutions do is they do a simple Google search and they type in your name and see what comes up. And there are many moments where you can build that brand and it be positive. And there are also moments where you can tear that down. So we talk not only about the safety, or I'm sorry, the branding feature, but also the safety component of being mindful of what kind of personal information you're putting out there, how you're managing it, your online presence and social media safety uh, as a component too. But also realizing that that brand that you establish at 15, 16, 17 is going to be something that hangs around for, for decades to come. And that's not really been something that previous generations have had to wrestle with. So it creates all sorts of unique challenges that SAD is working on. That is very powerful. And, you know, that whole idea, too, I think in terms of your branding shift from being students against drunk driving to students against destructive decisions really does play into effect with that digital dependency because I feel like texting and driving is probably even more of a higher risk because people are doing it sober. So at least, you know, your odds were a little bit lower with people drinking and driving in terms of the numbers of people drinking and driving. But texting and driving, even though I think they're putting laws and stuff in place, it's still just a horrific tragedy when someone either loses their own life or another person as a result of sending that one text to whoever or punching that one Facebook-like kind of scary stuff. Yeah. It's interesting you bring that up because there's this thing called social dissonance where, and this I think is important to our business listeners because there are things that as consumers we know are bad or that messaging we we can use that we know dissuades behavior, but people do it anyway. It's fascinating the research that we have done. A number of people who have said, hey, I know that checking my email, I know that taking that call, I know that whatever it is, it's bad and I shouldn't do it. I got it. But yet they do it anyway because, again, that's where that digital dependency component falls in. And I would imagine our business listeners, they feel that same pressure. Because we are tethered at the hip to our phones, there's no – our customers, our clients, they expect that kind of instantaneous response back to us. And so it creates an environment not only where that has 
the threat of, of impairing someone when they're behind the wheel. Uh, I don't know if you saw that my good old home state made some national news where a member of the state legislature was literally on a Zoom meeting while he was driving down the interstate. If you want a good story, check that out. But his argument was, oh, I'm not distracted because it's just, it's no different than, you know, taking a phone call. Well, there's lots of science to show that there's three kinds of distractions, and I won't bore you all with that, but there's cognitive, there's manual, and then there's visual. And when you're using your phone to do any of those things, they're certainly checking all those boxes and creating all three of those distractions. But I think in terms of business, thinking about the messaging that goes behind some of these behaviors and how we can leverage that to get the public, to get our consumers to do what we want them to do is really important to consider. Well, I think that's a perfect example of you saying that it's not just the teenagers that are making stupid decisions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, true. that's, cr- that's true. crazy to think of someone in that kind of position and that kind of role would do something so publicly, yeah, and yeah. confident, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. And I'll just... And I'll just say to our parents that are listening, hey, parents, you are setting the role model here for how your teens drive. We're currently in what we call the 100 deadliest days between Memorial Day and Labor Day, where we lose more teen lives on our roadways than any other time of the year. Days are longer. Kids are out of school. More risky behaviors happen in general during the summer months. And so parents, this is a perfect opportunity to visit our website. Use some of our resources like the Passport to Safe Driving that we've created with the National Road Safety Foundation. That is a perfect toolkit for teens and parents to explore together how to be a safe driver. But they're noticing when you're responding to that, that quick text when you're driving. They're noticing when you're checking your stock prices, when you're responding to that email. Whatever it is, there is no such thing as just a quick insert the blank. It's, it's distracting you and it's setting an example for how your future driver or your teen driver will most likely behave behind the wheel too. So set a good example. I think that's a very important message on so many different levels. Well, if, yeah. someone wanted, if someone was interested in making a career trajectory of being involved in running a nonprofit such as yourself, I know you mentioned while we were on break about your master's degree. Tell us yeah. the steps that you took to be the position that you are and what would be an inspiration and some tactical tips for someone else who wanted to make a career in the nonprofit sector. Yeah, so when I was a kid, I loved the video game Sims, and I really thought that I was going to grow up and go build cities. So when I went to college, I majored in political science, and one of my professors said something very profound to me, that politics is all about who gets what, when, where, and why. And so that really helped me think about not only the social institutions that we have, but really how I wanted to invest my time. I mean, we all got to work 40 hours a week. But life is pretty short and days can be pretty long if you're not really passionate about what you're doing. And so I started looking at, you know, where, where are my interests and how do I want to spend my time? And as someone else once told, once told me, it's really a disservice to ask a, a kid or to ask a teenager, what do you want to do when you grow up? It's a much better approach to ask them what problems they want to solve. And so some of these pieces came to mind for me and I started looking at my intersections between public policy 
and how policy drives so much of what we do. And I'm not just talking about what happens here in Washington or in Sacramento or in state capitals across the country. I'm talking about what happens at our local school board meeting, what happens at our city council meetings, what happens when you know we, we elect folks and, and they represent us and they make decisions that can have sweeping impact on our everyday lives, particularly at the local level. So the policy piece featured with, as you can tell, I'm pretty shy and have trouble putting words together. So how, how, can, how, how can I use my gift of gab for uh, a good purpose? How can I give back to organizations, as I said, I was a sad student in high school, that have served me so well and have allowed me to grow as, as a person? How can I find an intersection to all of those? And the nonprofit world has provided me that. I, I don't have that this exact statistic, but I think it's something like one in 10 jobs in the country. We can check with the Department of Labor. But I think it's one in 10 jobs in this country is related back to a nonprofit. People forget that there's literally thousands of organizations from governments to higher education to civil service to the USPS to nonprofits like SAD that are working every day that are driven by a purpose instead of profits. And I mean no disrespect to our counterparts in the for-profit sector. We certainly need them helping to drive the economy and create that wealth that the rest of us are trying to acquire to help fuel our missions. So my best advice to people, it sounds a little cliche, but think about what problems you want to solve and think about how you want to spend those hours a day and then just start looking for organizations that work in that space. And you will be amazed at the litany of organizations that are already out there, that are already doing the good work, that are making moves to help address some of the biggest challenges that our communities face, whether that be in the realm of economic impact and looking at business development with like a chamber of commerce to working on the advocacy side uh, to working in the media uh, where we certainly need people to help us tell our stories and get the word out so that people understand the resources that exist. There literally is something for everybody in the nonprofit sector. And of course, I'm a big evangelist for this sector because it's, it's been such a great space for me. In terms of, in, you know, with what you're saying, I think it's so insightful in terms of the different things that you can do to be involved in a career on, on that pathway. But how are you talking to the members of your organization around making career decisions? I love what you said about, you know, asking where you want to make a difference, asking where you want to make an impact. But yeah. it feels like to me that there's so much drive and interest right now in being an influencer and how many yeah. social media followers can you get. And so... Is there like a, a, not maybe a curriculum so much, but a conversation around maybe there's things in this world that you can do outside of becoming an influencer and what does that look like and how much has that affected the mindset of the future career choices? Yeah, it's a great question, Tracy. You know, when when I first started in this world uh, of nonprofit, I mean, Facebook was really the platform, right? That was the end-all, be-all. We kind of migrated from MySpace, but now there are new platforms popping up every day. And I think it has created a culture shift where now we are no longer beholden or reliant just on one source of information. We're no longer just relying on our TVs or the radios or the newspapers to be the sole source of information. But now anyone, if they play their cards right, if they light themselves on fire, if they, whatever it is they have to do, they have the possibility to, quote, go viral. And so what we've talked about is, how can you go viral in a good way? How can you take whatever that passion is, and it may not result in you getting 5 million Facebook likes, but 
you know, one of our other core values is volunteerism. How can you go and, and write those letters to our first responders and make an impact in their life? How can you go viral with volunteering at the animal shelter? How can you make a difference in, you know, uh, being an engaged citizen and attending uh, these different meetings? There's a lot of ways to go viral and to give back to your communities that may not result in you making headline news, but can still make an impact. So I think it's about shifting the conversation from influencing to impacting. And when we help teens understand the value of their impact and understand the impact that they can have, not just in in the numbers of likes that happen, but more importantly in people's lives, that's when we start to see really meaningful change that can make a difference. Well, I was just going to just ask about getting involved on the local level uh, to yep. make an impact on the global level. So that's a great way to yeah. let people know how they can get involved. Yeah, head to our website, www.sad.org, or find us on your favorite social media page, uh, at Sad Nation, S-A-D-D Nation. How does your model work around people getting involved locally and then regionally and nationally and so forth? Yeah, absolutely. So we are we are school and community based. Anyone can start a SAD chapter. It's free. It's easy. Most of them are in middle schools, high schools, and colleges. But we also have houses of worship, community centers, big girls, big sisters that are you know starting chapters and working with us at the local level. And that's really, as you said, Tracy, that's really where a lot of the impact starts. So starting there. Um, we have opportunities to compete in national contests, to use national programs, to bring in national speakers, to bring in some of the best of the best from across the country into the local level and highlight these issues that are happening across the country, but to make them very specific and very real to a local community. We know that not every community is the same, and so it's important to us to customize our outreach and our programs to really be specific to the issues that local communities face because Charleston, West Virginia is going to be very different than Charleston, South Carolina, which is different than Charlestown, Maine. So understanding those differences is really important and empowering our students to the voice of what we do. That's where the real magic happens. So how, how does this affect, you know, we're a business show and I'm, my question is, yeah. do you have programs or partnerships with businesses and how can businesses use uh, SAD? Yeah, first of all, I would. there's lots of great things that I could highlight here. I'll be brief. And number one, I think understanding that Every employee doesn't live in a vacuum, and by that I mean, you know, they're still a mom, a dad, a partner, a spiritual leader, whatever their journey might be, they're still that same person when they come into work, and so they bring that luggage with them every day, that baggage, and so understanding some of these elements of substance abuse, of addiction, of mental health, all of these things are so important for employers to understand, particularly if they're working Uh, in a space where we've got parents. And so many of our employees are parents. And so helping our employees as parents navigate adolescence and and raising uh, empowered young people, absolutely so important. I'll also say we have a strong relationship with the Department of Labor because something like 16% of the U.S. workforce is actually under the age of 21. And so for those of our listeners who are working in the space where they've got adolescents working with them, understanding the resources that SAD has to offer, whether it be through our DOL, our Department of Labor Relationships, or even apart from that, can be a great resource to helping them navigate, hey, you know, how do I help make sure that my employees are happy or they're healthy, that they're, they're making good choices? Because if they make risky decisions, if they are a distracted driver when they're making that delivery, when if they are using substances and show up high or impaired, that impacts your bottom line and it puts you and your business in a place of liability that can be avoided if we work on the prevention side together. And so we think that's so important and that's why SAD exists. 
And SAD was created in 1997. When was the predecessor? So uh, same organization. We were started back in 1981, 40 years ago. Big anniversary for us this year. The name, we just changed the name in 97 uh, and have been working in that space of destructive decisions since. And do you have a program that actually works directly with businesses? Yeah, we do. If you visit our website, sad.org, and you go up to our issue areas link, you'll see information separated by each of the section areas that I talked about. And there are specific elements for employers in each of those pieces, particularly around traffic safety. As you know, many of our adolescents are out doing deliveries, making calls, working in spaces that require transportation. And so helping employers understand those benefits, not only on the transportation side, but also on the mental health side. There can be challenges that happen in the workplace. Both of those are featured on our website, www.sad.org. Also on our social media pages. If you go to your favorite platform, you'll find us on as Sad Nation. And you probably also have a state chapter, uh, depending on where you are in the country, you have a state chapter that you can tap into as well. Because we're, uh, as, as Tracy mentioned, we are state, local, and federal. We're, we've got all the levels that are working to keep young people safe, coast to coast and beyond. And how many people are part of Sad? So we have about 500,000 active members. That's our student membership and about 7,500 chapters across the country in all 50 states. And our national staff is about 20 full-time employees that are based throughout the country. There's about six of us here in our headquarters in D.C. And the other 14 are based throughout the country that support our chapters, provide technical support, work with local partners, do all the good stuff at a, at a local level. Because, again, we know that's where a lot of that impact truly does happen. Well, thank you very much for listening to KHS 1220 98.1 FM. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian radio show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.